Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. God bless you. You can be seated. We, uh, as many of you know, we were traveling to and from St. Louis, Missouri, going to Youth Congress a couple of weeks ago. In fact, we left two weeks ago today. In about three hours, we would have been pulling out of the parking lot at 10 p.m. And uh, I'll just share a little bit about that trip. It was quite interesting, really. Um, we, we, we had a, a hang-up quite early on in the trip. Perhaps you heard we were stuck for seven hours at Dysart's. Has anybody been to Dysart's before? Yeah. Have you ever stayed there for seven hours? I wouldn't recommend it. It's actually kind of, uh, I guess, a light curse word now among those that were on the trip. Don't say it too loud. But um, it was a great trip. And uh, this is an odd little detail of the trip to even bring up. I wasn't really intending on doing it, but um, what a powerful week it was. But, But while we were traveling to and from, every once in a while you would hear this loud thud on the front of the bus as we were driving and our bus driver, Steve, who sometimes when I'm in this pulpit, I call John for some reason. I don't, you maybe you don't get that, but anyway, uh, he would say, bird. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh, the glass is still in, intact. Somewhere there's a bird lying in the ditch. And we would say, poor bird. And a little while later, you'd hear a thud and he would just say, bird. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, man, poor bird. My, my mother used to have birds. She would have these zebra finches, and um, I can't remember if she had, uh, you had a budgie bird as well. I'm trying to remember the name of that budgie bird. Did you give it to, to your mother? Did you give it to, to Nanny? My Nanny had a budgie bird, and then she passed away, and then my wife inherited that budgie bird, and, and they used to let it out of the cage. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a sentimental bird, but um, they would let it out of the cage, and then one day it, it ran into the window, and uh, one of the, you know, the last living sentiments from, from my grandmother's life, and, and they let it die. Never really let that one go. <laughs> Poor bird. <laughs> I think that one, they, they named it Baby and uh, tried to get it to uh, say, hey, baby. I don't think they ever succeeded, but it doesn't matter. It's gone now. So I heard this story about a parakeet named Chippy. He was a bird, of course, and uh, poor Chippy, he never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage. The next moment, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. The problems began when Chippy's owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. And of course, at this moment, at an opportune time, the phone began to ring. And so she turned to pick it up, barely had said hello when (laughs) Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner, of course, gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum, opened the bag, and thanks be to God, there was Chippy, still alive but stunned. (laughs) And since the bird was covered with dust and with soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom 
turned on the faucet and held Chippy under the running water. Talk about torture. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. A few days after the trauma, a concerned friend contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, but Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. Sucked in, washed up, and blown over. It's enough to steal the song out of the stoutest of hearts. Now, I feel led in this service tonight to revisit some ideas and principle in the Word of God that we were talking about a few weeks ago and never really felt like we finished where God was taking us. God moved in that service, and I'm grateful. But there is this recurring principle in the Scripture that is so critical, and some of this we are going to review a bit, and I feel like God has something to say to us tonight. But this critical principle for us to grasp as believers is the notion that everything that I encounter in my life, the good and the bad, God can take it and God can make it serve his purpose in my life. And it is easy to understand that for the good that comes my way. It's really easy to see God in the promotion at work. It's really easy to see God's hand at work in my life when I've got strength and when I've got health in my body. But it tends to be far more difficult for human beings to discern God's providence when we encounter the bad, whatever it might be. But I must believe that whatever the difficulty I'm facing, whether it is self-induced, I think of Jonah who ran from the call of God, trying to get as far away from the will of God as possible, and he places himself smack dab in the middle of a storm that is of his own doing and it's his fault. Whether it's self-induced or, or whether it's brought on by the mistreatment of others or, or perhaps just the circumstances of life. I must believe that whatever it is, that it is within the jurisdiction of God's sovereignty. And if God allowed it, it is ultimately sent for my good and for his glory. I've got to believe as a Christian, as a blood-bought child of the king, I must believe that no matter, no matter what befalls my life, that it is sent into my life for my good and for his glory. Let me quote you a few pet scriptures that we pull out when we need a good shout in a service. I know we say it a lot and we stitch it on pillows and we pin it on our refrigerators, but it doesn't nullify the truth in the verse. Romans 8, 28, it says, and we know, say we know it. We know that all things, they work together for good. Somebody say for my good. They work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. That is all things, not just good things working for good, but bad things working for good, adversity working for good, difficulty working for good, everything 
for my good. Somebody say amen. Amen. Joseph in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, had a revelation at the end of a difficult road that all of the adversity was a part of the plan of God in his life. Joseph was the, the young brother, the favored child of his father, got the coat of many colors, had a dream that God would use him someday and that he would be prominent. And his brothers were envious of his dream. They didn't understand his dream. And so they threw him in a pit, which led to Potiphar's house, which led to being lied on by Potiphar's wife and being thrown into, him being thrown into a, an Egyptian prison, which of course allowed him to interpret Pharaoh's dream, which brought him into Pharaoh's palace And it led him to being second in command over all of Egypt. It was a difficult road to get there, but, but when he finally got to the end of it and he had, he had the, the benefit of hindsight, he was able to look at his brothers, the perpetrators of the initial setback that led to all the other setbacks. And he said to these men, but as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. And you see, that is the recurring principle in the word of God. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. What the enemy intends to use to destroy me, God is the one that authored it and orchestrated it, and it's for my good and for my advancement and for my benefit. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. And I must choose whose purpose to align with in my life. You see, I can either align with the intention of hell. And I can believe that what has come to me is going to kill me or destroy me. Or I can choose to see it from heaven's point of view and know and understand that God has sent it for my good and for his glory. There's many, situa- many stories in scripture. I just want to lift a couple from the text in the gospel of John. In John chapter 9, there is a man that we read about who was, who was born blind. And for all of these years, he had dealt with this debilitating handicap. And when Jesus and his disciples encounter him, the disciples, they ask the question. They said, Jesus, who is it that sinned? Referencing the blindness, who is it that sinned? Was it this man or did his parents sin that he was born blind? Notice with me that the disciples automatically assume that the blindness was the result of some evil influence. And it was ultimately in their mind a part of hell's purpose, seemingly. But Jesus, he... he, comes back and he rebuts their their question and he answered, neither has this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Jesus was saying to his disciples, this has nothing to do with hell. This has nothing to do with sin. This has nothing to do with the devil or evil. So stop giving the devil credit for what is going on in this man's life because God allowed this blindness. And Jesus said, it happened that the works of God might be made manifest in his life. The New Living says this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Amen. 
God permitted it so that his glory could be on display for all to see. Everything that comes to me, it's either, it's for my good and for his glory. We got to believe it. How many know that, that when, when you lose a sense, maybe you've heard this, one of your five senses, maybe you lose your sight or you lose your hearing or whatever, they say, and I've never experienced this, of course, but they say that the other senses, they become strengthened and you become more cognizant and aware. If you're blind, your hearing improves, your smell, your touch, you, you have a keener sense in the other senses when, when one is taken away or when one is depleted. Have you heard that before? It's this, it's what happens when, when one is diminished, everything else around it is strengthened. And Jesus said, I I allowed this. Number one, I'm going to get glory out of this when this man is healed. But at the end of the day, this man, not only is he going to have his sight back, but he has, he's going to have a keener sense of other senses in his life because of what he went through and what he walked through. It was for his good and it is for my glory. Nothing to do with sin in him or his parents. Nothing to do with the devil. This is all about God's power. All about God. I just choose to give God the glory in my life. I refuse to give the devil more credit than he is due. God is the one who is the author and the finisher of my faith. God is the one who is sovereign and he is over all and he is in us all. Jesus is the one who's in control. Amen. In John chapter 11, we read another story a couple chapters later of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha. And of course, he's sick. John 11 and 3, therefore his sister sent unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Again, the disease was permitted so that Jesus would get glory. We don't want to walk through a sickness. We don't want to walk through setback like that. But Jesus said, it's not going to lead unto death. I'm in control, but I'm allowing this for the glory of God. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. And in the meantime, if you know the story, Lazarus ends up dying. And so Jesus starts leading his disciples back toward Judea where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home was in Bethany. And and on the way, he breaks the news to his 12 disciples that Lazarus is dead. And and he starts kind of softly, you know. He said, Lazarus, he's asleep, guys. And they're like, hey, Jesus, it's okay. You got this. He's going to be fine. He'll get out of it. You know, he'll pull through. And, And notice the tact of Jesus here. He said, you know what? You guys aren't getting it. Verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. That's bedside manner in a nutshell right there for you. Lazarus, he's dead. But notice verse 15, this this is striking to me. Jesus said, and I am glad. Lazarus is dead and I am glad. Why? It's for your sakes. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Why? To the intent that you may believe. 
The sickness was so that God could get glory. And also through the circumstance, you're going to grow in your faith. This adversity, the, the sickness that, that has led to him passing on momentarily for a time, it is for your good and is, it is for God's glory. I'm trying to get you to a new level of faith. And so I'm going to let you walk through some difficulty. I'm trying to get you there. And notice that it was all because Jesus delayed. Jesus delayed a couple of days. You know, sometimes we get all bent out of shape when God delays. We pray and God doesn't answer it when we want it, the way we think he should. God doesn't come through on our timetable. And it seems like he's delayed, if you will, but God's not delayed. He's just, he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. And you see, even this two day delay, it was a part of the plan too. Jesus said, I'm glad I wasn't there. It's a good thing I didn't come when you wanted me to because more people are going to believe in me and I'm going to get more glory as a result of Lazarus' issue. What issue might you be walking through tonight that God is saying, I'm allowing you to walk through it so that you can grow, that you can be uh, improved, that, that you can go through and experience good in your life, and I will get more glory from it. What is it that God has set you in the middle of or has allowed to come into your life that he's saying, I'm in control, just trust me. Trust me even in the delay. Trust me when you don't understand. Trust me when, when it doesn't look like I'm coming through the way that I said that I would. I'm still able to step in and raise a dead man out of the tomb after four days of being in there. I can do it. I'm in control. I'm God. And we must believe that everything we deal with is for my good and it's for God's glory. Here's a news flash and, and a revelation for all of us. I know that we say it and we sing it and we celebrate it, but we must believe that as a child of God, we cannot lose. Put a period at the end of that sentence and just take it to the bank and believe it. You cannot lose if you are washed in the blood of the lamb. Come on. Anything that gets into your life, it had to go through the Red Sea. It had to go through the blood of Jesus. And so it's a sanctified trial. God allowed it and you can't be defeated by it. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Come on. I'm more than a conqueror. I believe that. I believe that the word of God is true. And I believe what Paul said. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God. This might be on a pillow in your house, maybe on your refrigerator, but it's still true. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph. Somebody say always. always. Triumph. Always. Say it again. You cannot lose. Come on, say, I cannot lose. I can't be defeated. Nothing the enemy would bring against me. No mindset, no stronghold can defeat me if I'll just trust in God's sovereignty and in God's plan and in God's hand on my life. I'm victorious. I'm victorious. Huh. Come on, I'm not looking for victory. I'm not sitting around biting my fingernails just hoping that God will come through for me. That's not my mentality. And God help us to have the right perspective on our trials and our circumstances. I'm not sitting around biting my fingernails, sucking my thumb, just hoping just maybe if God maybe could, would. No, I'm, I'm, here's, here's my mentality. My mentality is, God, this is difficult. 
And I can't wait to see how you allow this to unfold so that I will grow. And somehow, God, you're going to get glory out of this. And I can't wait to be a part of what you're doing in my life. I can't wait to see all the people that are going to come to faith as a result of what I'm dealing with right now. That's how we walk through it because I can't lose. I can't be defeated because God is on my side. Can we just celebrate that for a moment in this service? If you believe that the word of God is true, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. Hallelujah. A few weeks ago, we were in Hebrews chapter 12. Please allow me to just bring a couple passages back to your memory here tonight. In Hebrews 12, the writer, he's talking about the chastening of the Lord. And he's talking about, he opens it, you know, uh, talking about how Jesus, he endured the cross and he despised the shame for the joy set before him. He was able to walk through what he was dealing with, the cross and, and the torture and all of that shame. He was able to deal with that because he knew that there was something coming afterward. And the writer of Hebrews in verse 11 says, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. But he doesn't stop there. Because he, he basically is building his case in Hebrews chapter 12 that chastening of the Lord is proof of God's love for us. That's, that's his whole case. That's what he's building in the first 11 verses or so that the chastening of the Lord proves that he loves us and that he is for us. He's building the case that, hey, no matter what comes my way, I, I can't be defeated. God is for me. He's in my corner. And so with that understanding, with the revelation that, that what I'm walking through is going to bring a yield and a harvest of righteousness in my life, he said that belief should impact your behavior because it's not enough to just believe that and still walk around with a defeated mentality. If you really believe that everything you face is for your good and God's glory, it's going to make its way out into your demeanor. And so he said, with this understanding, therefore, verse 12, lift up the hands which have been hanging down and the feeble knees. Again, if I firmly believe that God is for me and in control. I don't need to worry about it. I can trust him with it and it should impact my demeanor and I should be able to let that belief become a part of my behavior and allow praise and worship to become a part of who I am. You see, the correct posture in the midst of adversity is praise. The correct posture for every difficulty that I face is praise. It's not walking around with my head hung down and, and a sulk in my step, but, but the, the posture for adversity is praise. It's a skip in my step and my hands and my head and my voice lifted high in worship to Jesus Christ because I understand that I cannot lose and that I am victorious. So we say praise. One more passage to bring to your recollection, Psalm 137, verse 1 through 4. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. God's people are in a strange land. They're in an enemy nation. And the Bible says that they were sitting down. 
They, they recollect, yea, we wept. Notice their posture here. They're sitting, they're weeping. And there we remembered Zion. And we hanged our harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. We took our instruments of praise and we set them aside because we were walking through difficulty. And they said in verse four, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Just like Chippy, the parakeet. Sucked up, washed up, and blown over. Going through it. And in the midst of their trial, God's people lost their song. In the midst of the adversity, they stopped believing that there would ever be a tomorrow and that there would ever be restoration to their homeland. They were demoralized and they were hopeless. And so they hung their harps on the willows. They sat down and they wept. God's people lost their song. Let me remind you today that I can't control my circumstance but I do control my praise. I can't control my situation, but I do control my attitude toward the situation. And I do get to choose whether or not I keep my faith in God and in his word and in his promises and whether or not I keep a praise on my lips and a dance in my step. I do get to choose that. And so even if I'm walking through something that I did not choose and it's not favorable and it's not good to me, I understand that it is good for me because of the one whose I am and whom I serve. He is good to me all the time. And no matter what life brings my way, God is in my corner. So I can praise God in my trial. I can lift up my voice when everything else in my life seems to be going down. Don't lose your song, church. Least of all, when the lights seem to be going out, trials and adversity seem to be coming your way, don't lose your song. Throughout scripture, there's many people that despite what they walk through, they're a shining example to us of how to handle yourself in the midst of trial. We all know Job. And in just a few moments, Job lost his oxen. He lost his donkeys. He lost his sheep. He lost his camels. He lost his servants. And finally, he lost his children and his home. He lost everything. And it was just like there was one wave of a bad report And just as soon as that one got out of the servant's mouth, he said, hey, I just barely made it out. There was these bandits, they came and they stole all your stuff. I just barely made it out to let you know, Job. And no sooner had he finished what he was saying and another one would come along and say, hey, Job, this happened. I'm so sorry to be the one to have to tell you this, but but hey, you're... your your kids, your, your servants, they're gone. Your children have been taken, they're killed. Job faced significant trial. But what's interesting and powerful to me is the posture that Job assumed after all of this took place. Job chapter 1 verse 20. Then Job arose. He rent his mantle because grief is not bad. He rent his mantle. He shaved his head. And he fell down upon the ground and he worshiped. Because praise 
is the proper posture when we walk through a trial. Verse 21, and he said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and now the Lord has taken away, but I'm not going to lose my praise. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And can I just tell somebody, the best thing that we could do when we face a trial in life is worship God in spite of the circumstance. I wonder, can we just take a moment and can we just exercise that right and that ability in this moment? Can we just begin to give God a little bit of praise? Come on, God's been good to us even when life is not so good to us. God, you're worthy. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Come on, it's not complicated tonight, but God would say to somebody, don't lose your song in the midst of the night season. Don't lose your praise when life is not favorable. Give God praise in the midst of the trial. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and just give God a shout of triumph. Come on, because I am triumphant and I am victorious and I cannot lose. Hallelujah. It's easy to praise God in the day when he's giving and when he's blessing. But what about that night season when he comes and he begins to take some things away? Can you still stand alongside Job and say, blessed be the name of the Lord? Like Job, we will all experience times when God seems to strip things away from us and, and, and spur us a little bit out of our comfort zone. Shouldn't surprise us. Jesus said in John 15, verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And here's us. And every branch that beareth fruit, meaning you're doing the right thing, you're living for God, you're serving him, you're faithful. If you're bearing fruit, the Bible says, Jesus said, he's going to purge it. He's going to prune it. Why? For your good. It's for your good that it might bring forth more fruit. You see, the, the setback, the pruning, the stripping away, it is not to destroy you. It's to advance you. He said, it's for your good. I want to bring more out of you. I want to get more out of your life. And that's why I'm going to allow some things to fade and fall away. And the question tonight is, can you still praise God in the midst of a pruning season? It's easy to praise God in the day. We all know the scripture, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, let the Lord's name be praised. We all know that scripture. It's in Psalm 113. So we say the daytime. Rising of the sun to the going down of the same. It's easy to praise God during the day when it seems like God is favoring us and blessing us and, and the promotions are coming and the reports are good from the doctor. But, but what about the midnight hour? We must also relate and resonate with the psalmist when he said in Psalm 119, 62, at midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee. Why? Because of thy righteous judgments. Come on. We can't only praise God when it's easy or when life is going good, but when the night season comes and when the trial befalls our life, we must still be able to stand and give God praise. Stand with the elders and the patriarchs of old and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. David knew what this was like. Music, come back. I'm almost done. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2 and 5. 
David, he's, he's on the run in this season of his life from a man who he thought was his friend. He's against him. Spears and javelins are being hurled. Not a fun time. And so David, therefore, he's on the run. He departed thence and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Notice, everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented. What a motley crew that was. Distress, in debt, and discontented. And these are the ones that gathered themselves to David and he became captain over all of them. There was about 400 of them. This is a dismal trial of life. A dark night of the soul, as the elders would say. David, he's, he's running, finds himself in a dark and dingy cave. And anyone and everyone who's loyal to him, <laughs> they're distressed, in debt, and discontented. But the man of God comes to David in the midst of what maybe was a pity party. And the prophet Gad, verse 5, he said to David, Abide not in the hold. Don't stay in the cave. Don't suck your thumb. Don't bite your fingernails, wondering when Saul might come around the corner. Abide not in the hold, but I want you to leave this place. Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. And then David departed from the cave and he did what the man of God said and he went to Judah which we know is a word in the Bible that means praise when Leah gave birth to her son Judah she said now I will praise the Lord and so the man of God get it he said I want you to leave this dark and dingy cave take all the people all the distress and and all the debt and all the discontentedness that you've got around you and get out of here and get into the land of praise. Don't stay and wallow, but lift up your head and lift up your hands. Praise. Because it's certainly easier to sit and wallow in the misery of our cave. But if we ever want to see a shift take place in our life and in our circumstance and in the season we're in, we can't afford to lose our praise and keep our mouth shut and lose our song. The man of God said, get into Judah. Get into Judah. Let me just say this. If life has come alongside and like Chippy, you've been jaded and you've walked through some stuff and you've dealt with circumstance that has silenced you and situations that have stolen your song, the word of God to all of us tonight is get to Judah Get to Judah. Get to that position and that posture of praise and see God do a work. We can't afford to see things stay in the status quo. We need a shift to take place in some needs 
and in some situations. And what the enemy would love to do is to demoralize you to the point where you sit in silence and you never raise a voice, never raise a hand, never raise your heart heavenward, and you just believe that maybe God's through with you and through with your family and through with your knee. But the word of God spoken right from the prophet Gad to our ears tonight is get out of the hold and get into Judah. Get out of your depression. Get out of your discontentedness and your indebtedness and your discomfort and get into the land of praise and something will shift in the supernatural. Come on, do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that when you begin to praise that something transpires in the atmosphere and something begins to happen in your life and in your circumstance? Come on, just one more time. Lift a hand for a moment and just begin to magnify the name of the Lord with me. Jesus, I worship you. It's not been easy, but God, the difficulty I've walked through, it just makes my praise a little bit more savory to your nostrils, God, to your ear, God. The sound you hear, it makes it a little bit more beautiful. Oh, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Standing with me, standing together. Hallelujah, hallelujah. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we good for a moment? Can I share this with you? 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat and the tribe of Judah find themselves outnumbered by their enemy. Three to one. Sometimes you ever feel outnumbered? Do you feel like everything that's against you is greater than what is for you? It's easy to feel that way sometimes. We've got, we've got a three-to-one fight we're waging war against. We've got the devil. We've got our flesh. We've got the world. It's coming at us from every angle. And sometimes it feels like we're outnumbered, like King Jehoshaphat no doubt felt. And the first thing that the king did, you read it yourself, was call a fast. Everybody in the land. There's just something about adversity that brings us back to seeking God. He calls a fast. And a man stands up and he begins to prophesy. And in verse 15, he declares, the battle is not yours, but the battle is God's. And so with this newfound word from God and a greater level of faith than what he had going into it, Jehoshaphat did something rather peculiar in this passage. Because rather than appointing warriors, Jehoshaphat appointed singers to go out on the front lines. And their job was only one thing, just praise God in the beauty of holiness. Chapter 20, 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And watch what happens when praise was introduced to the adverse situation. Verse 22. And when they began to sing. And when they began to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. It wasn't because they wielded a sword well. It's because they weren't, they weren't willing to lose their song in the midst of a trial. Hear me. When you feel surrounded, when you feel hemmed in on every side, by your circumstance, 
Maybe you feel hemmed in by the enemy and by the world and by your flesh, three to one. But hear me, when the enemy seems to be closing in, that is the prime time to start to praise God and to lift up your hands. Don't believe the enemy and say, hey, God's not hearing you and God's not for you. You might as well just sit down and stay on your hands. Don't believe that lie. But praise God in the midst because praise is the declaration of victory before I see victory. Praise is the declaration that it's going to turn around before it does. And so I wonder if there's anybody in the house that would like to put singers on the front lines of the battle in your life. Some praise on the front line of whatever you're facing and say, I can't fight this alone, but you promise me, God, that this battle is yours and it's not mine anyway. And I can't lose. I'm victorious. And you cause me always to triumph. Can you just begin to worship God even now in this moment? Can you lift your hands and can you just go before him now and watch God shift it? Come on, I believe I'm victorious. I believe it today. Yes, God. Yes, God. Come on, don't lose your song. Don't lose your song. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Is there anybody that would step out of their pew today and come around this altar and just come and give God a praise together with your church family? Come on, let's just let it be a sign of faith. Come to the front lines of the battle and bring your praise and bring your worship. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, la baba ye ashatalaboko sotoye. I believe your word, Jesus. I believe your word, Jesus. Oh, yes, God. Ye la baba rodokoria mamandiele la boko sotoye. Ye ye raba ye ashatalaboko sotoye mamandiye. In the name of Jesus, come on, your family is counting on you. Come on, this circumstance you're walking through, it's counting on you not to lose your song. Oh, yes, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 